VI Shots Love You Podcast, episode 32. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to this episode of VI Shots. My name is Michael Ivaliotis, and this is the podcast devoted to the world of LabVIEW. With each episode, I bring you interviews, discussions, and share with you ideas for how you can take your LabVIEW development to the next level. Well, thank you all again for joining me on this episode of VI Shots. Um, I'm your host, Michael Ivaliotis. Uh, today, as always, I have a special guest interview. I have with me Christina Rogers, who's a senior software engineer and member of the LabVIEW R&D team uh, with National Instruments. Hello, everyone. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Some of you may know her from the Eyes on VI's blog. Um, that's um, eyesonvis.com. And uh, she's here with us today to talk a little bit about one of the, uh, the tools she, she helped develop, uh, which is the, uh, the bookmarks tool in LabVIEW 2013. And that was a, uh, Christina, you also did a presentation about this at NIWE, correct? That's correct. Yeah. Um, but no. be before we get into that, um, I'd like to uh, get a little bit of your background and find out how you uh, got started with LabVIEW, because I know you've been with the R&D team for a long time. Yep. Um, uh, when did you get started? Uh, 1997 is when I joined LabVIEW R&D. So. What, what version of LabVIEW was uh, around back then? We were developing LabVIEW 5.0 at the time, but so I actually like learned LabVIEW 4, uh, 4.1. When I was interviewing with NI, I, uh, I learned about it a little bit. That was my first exposure to LabVIEW. And what was your first impression about this, uh, this graphical language? I, I fell in love with it from the start. As soon as I was like following um, a book, I think it was LabVIEW for Everyone or something like that. And I was uh, just going through and I was like, okay, do this, do that, draw this, run it. This is fantastic. <laughs> so yeah, it was, uh, I had not really done any graphical programming before that. And when I got exposed to this, I was like, I, if I had known about it, I would have used it for projects in college, but I hadn't learned about it before that point. So basically, this this whole other world opened up to you at that point, huh? Oh yeah, yeah, and it was really exciting to jump in and start making changes to it. Uh, so, did were you a programmer uh, before that? What was your background? Yes, I was uh, in um, computer engineering and uh, computer science in college. Okay, so then, uh, yeah, so this this LabVIEW uh, graphical environment was totally different from, I guess, what you learned in, in school then. Oh yeah, I came from text-based programming, so. So when you, when you first start working for uh, National Instruments, uh, what I guess you all go through the applications engineering uh, track, right? <laughs> no, no, track. we didn't. No? We don't. We don't all do that. No. Oh, okay. I, thought, I, I went directly. When I joined NI, I went directly into LabVIEW R&D, and I've been here ever since. <laughs> okay. So in LabVIEW R&D, do you, uh, I know I, we did an interview with Darren uh, a, while, a long time ago, actually, and uh, he was talking to us how he just does LabVIEW programming um, for LabVIEW. Is that the same case with you, or do you balance it with other languages? Now, I mostly do the LabVIEW executable in C++, and so I, I try to ask management to give me project time, so I get to do projects where I use LabVIEW as well, but that's only a small part of my time. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's fun being able to, you know, switch back and forth. I know I, I just I love using LabVIEW so much that I ask for time at work that I get to use LabVIEW for real projects. So um, but it's also I, I joke that I'm not sure I could use LabVIEW if I couldn't also go change the source, because if there's anything that bugs me when I'm using it, I can just go change it. I need a new FI server interface. Uh, I'll just go add it to the source code and then I can start using it with the next version. Yeah, uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, so then you got to, uh, so I have a connection now. If I need something in LabVIEW, I can just ask you. <laughs> <laughs> Darren's the only one that really gets to ask me for stuff and uh, get it prioritized. <laughs> oh, darn. <laughs> he gets uh, secret features for himself and private VI server stuff. Oh, so you're the, uh, the inside connection that Darren keeps talking about then. <laughs> Probably. He's he, like, he's raving that QuickBold is his like favorite feature in LabVIEW 2013. And, uh, he just talked me into putting that into it with a secret INI token for him. So what, what's that feature? QuickBold. Mm -hmm. It lets you, uh, do control B to bold text while you're ty typing into it. And there's, you, can, there's an INI entry for that? Right, because usually control B is remove broken wires. So it's kind of strange from a user interface design perspective to have the same keyboard shortcut do different things based on the state of the system of what you're editing. So on the one hand, it's totally intuitive when you're selecting text for control B to bold it. And then when you're not editing text, control B removes broken wires. But it's still confusing enough that I'm not willing to put it in as a as a regular published feature. So we put it in there. It's behind a config token. And it's just quick bold equals true because he was quick drop guy. So we made it quick bold for him. And uh, you can try it out and let me know if it feels intuitive enough that we should make it the default for everyone. So it still works as removing broken wires, correct? Correct. What it does is it actually usurps the remove broken wires menu item if you are currently editing text, and that will make it do bold and unbold instead. Oh, right. So what's really funny is if you change, you customize your menu shortcuts so that remove broken wires is something other than control B, it's that keyboard shortcut that will bold text. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, the so right, the there's, a, there's a little bit of gotcha there, but... Uh, yeah, it's, it's not ready for prime time. It's, it's mostly there because Darren was working on the... Uh, changing all the examples. You know, how he made all the examples pretty. Uh -huh. And part of the format that we had designed for how we do the text on them required bolding parts of it. And, you know, he's Mr. Quick Drop. He hates using the mouse and he's having to use the mouse to go select bold all the time. And he was like, this is too painful. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it is painful, actually. <laughs> yeah. I, I can attest to that. And I sympathized enough, and I'm like, okay, I don't. it would be expensive to implement this for real, but if I put it in in this way, it's it's kind of not, it wasn't that hard to implement usurping mm -hmm. the broken wires menu item, so I put that in for him. So, what other hidden INI tokens are there? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of them, and they're usually not ready for prime time for a reason. See, that's why everyone should come to NI Week so that you can uh, be friends with uh, Christina Rogers and ask her these uh, NI token uh, things. <laughs> or Darren. Darren knows them all, too. Oh, yeah? Okay. Now, uh, throughout the throughout the years at NI, you've actually been involved in several uh, LAVI features. Um, many, people, many people may not know this. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of those things that you worked on? I can never remember everything that I've worked on over the past 16 years. <laughs> so I can give you a sampling of things, but like the getting started window, I implemented that. Um, the uh, file new dialogue was originally written by me. Uh, did 
a lot of the implementation of the bookmark manager dialogue. Although I want to give a shout out to Sampath, who was the lead developer on the bookmarks project in general. So he uh, he did the overall project. And I mostly helped with the user interface part. And um, oh boy, what else? I've worked on a lot of front panel things. I do a lot of the uh, user interface design and usability design for LabVIEW. The um, the save save as dialogue is probably the most challenging user interface design I've ever done. And I, I wrote a blog post about it because I know that it's hard and complicated, but it's got some hard and complicated issues that you have to deal with when you do save as. And so I'm always open to hearing new ideas for the design of that dialogue, but only after you read my blog post and understand all of the issues that the dialogue has to address. So what other things have I done? Ah, all kinds of things. I uh, I like to say that I, I work on whatever needs to be done. So, I mean, I've worked on back-end parts of LabVIEW that are not related to anything else user interface-wise, but it needed to be done. So, so with the uh, getting started window, uh, did you work on... Was that written in LabVIEW? I'm not sure. Yes, the getting started window is written entirely in VIs. So the uh, the rewrite happened. Oh, I'm going to say LabVIEW eight two, because originally we had the the navigation dialog was a a C based part that was just a simple window with a few buttons, and then the getting started window uh, was the idea was we wanted to make it more flexible to present content there, and so we like to make things implemented in VIs so that we have more people that can plug into it and modify it. So we uh, we did that, and I did it actually as an experiment with um, learning LabVIEW object-oriented programming. That was the, the first time I had gotten to use LabVIEW object-oriented programming for a real project, and again, just totally fell in love with it. And that's actually why I started the Eyes on VIs blog, was I wanted to tell everybody how great LabVIEW object-oriented programming was and explain how to use it from transitioning from using LabVIEW with just type deft clusters and how much better it was to use a class. So you wrote that uh, using classes in LabVIEW and mm-hmm. the getting started window. So how does how does something like this get uh, built into kind of the LabVIEW environment? I know this is kind of a behind the scenes a little bit, but I'm just curious if if it was written in LabVIEW, how does that become part of the um, uh, the LabVIEW development environment? Is it uh, just a VI that gets called on startup, or how does that work? I mean, you don't yes. have to tell us the secrets, but I'm just curious. About <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, LabVIEW does a lot of parts that are implemented in LabVIEW, and LabVIEW is executable, can call out to VIs and run them as part of the editor. We call it. The, like from way back before I even started the team, the philosophy was that we should eat our own dog food and that we should build LabVIEW in LabVIEW as much as possible. Okay. Um, so the, the some of the other stuff that you've worked on, uh, you mentioned, uh, but the one thing you didn't mention was the silver controls. I think you worked oh, on those yes. as well, right? Yes, I did. I did um, a lot of the implementation side. Uh, and then we had some a visual designer that was doing the uh, the art design, and Simon Hogg was actually like driving the project as a uh, as a new features. But um, but yeah, I did uh, I did a lot of the implementation work there. Now, what's what's involved in in creating kind of new controls for LabVIEW? It's it, there must be some. Um, is it digging into some old LabVIEW code and into technologies that are you know come from the past, I guess, in LabVIEW? Yeah, it's harder than we'd like it to be because we don't have a general skinning mechanism. So when I wanted to make the silver controls, the problem is that the pieces, I mean, you can go to the control editor and make new control appearances as much as you want, but 
there's you need the decoration pieces. So if you want to make something that's not resizable, you can make a lab you control that looks like anything because you just import pictures like PNG images into the parts um, or layer them behind them, and you can do a lot of visual tricks. But with the silver controls, they needed to be things that you could um, resize and recolor and grow, and so we actually needed new decorations. So the the Normally, the, um, the pieces of the controls, the decorations are similar to the things you see on the decorations palette in that they're graphical elements that actually have C code behind them that defines how they draw. They're not just bitmap images. And so we had to add some new ones to support the silver controls, and that's the majority of the implementation work that I did. So it's something that not the average user can actually do. You have to actually know C code and go into LabVIEW and, and, and do that, I guess. Yeah, that's correct, that we, we couldn't do it without adding things to the executable itself. Mm -hmm. hopefully, hopefully that'll change in the future so that uh, we know we can extend that um, to create oh, yes, some native controls. That would be awesome if we could do that. Yeah, we're, we're definitely aware that we need to make customizing controls easier and be able to make them look better. Uh, I th so I was on, on, on the beta program during that time when the silver controls came out. I, th I think you got a little bit of flack on, on the silver controls. Uh, and I think now they're kind of, uh, well, there's pros and cons. There's <laughs> people are either they love them or they don't love, or they hate them. <laughs> um, there's no kind of middle ground. What do, you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that there's certain people that are that come to me and are like, but it still doesn't look like window like native windows controls and i agree that's not what they were intended to be as if you're in the, making an application where you want it to look like the system and you're using system controls that's great keep using system controls the silver controls were meant to be a replacement for the modern controls in that when you wanted to make your top level vi that's not supposed to be a, a dialogue or a system tool but you, you're okay with it looking like labview but you want it to look prettier than this, the old modern control, yeah, the unfortunately named modern controls, you would have another set of controls that you could use. And they are supposed to be able to live side by side with some of the system controls a little bit better. Like you can mix and match a bit in the current Windows system and it doesn't look so obvious, but they're not system controls. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have to admit that I don't use them. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I wouldn't expect you to because you you know how to use system controls for everything that you need. And you also know how to customize the controls to, you know, specific looks like for the VI package manager. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, what uh, I, I, a lot of times what I end up doing is taking parts from the system controls, um, mm -hmm. like frames and backgrounds and things like mm -hmm. that, and, and incorporating them into... Uh, some of the other controls, like the modern controls, or just replacing those elements. Like, for example, for graphs, there is no system graph. Um, right. So you have to kind of create that yourself. Right. So yeah. that's that's kind of what we do. Yeah. And, and you guys do, you know, you you know how to do it. And you put in the effort and you make, like, really spectacular user interfaces in LabVIEW. And other people are like, how did they do that? And it's like, well, it's, it's not just drop off the palette easy. You have to know how to create these things. Um, Simon did publish um, some of the missing system control suite kind of thing. The problem is that the operating system doesn't actually provide a graph. So we can't give you a system graph that is actually what the OS defines a graph to look like on yeah. each of the platforms. So the missing system control suite that he published is what you're describing is that he made the missing controls out of system parts and using system colors and things like that to get as close as he could get. And um, I always point out that, you know, you can get so far with that, but like the, 
like the obvious little showstopper problem is the um, plots on a graph. If you wanted to be able to have it match the system theme, so you wanted those colors to be defined by the OS, you would have to have a set of colors where you're sure that the plot colors are distinct from the background color. And the OS doesn't give us that set of colors. So it's not technically possible for us to make a, a graph where we can define the colors as part of the system theme. Yeah, I see. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge and it's something that uh, we're going to be grappling with for a while. And until we can create our own uh, native controls and uh, <laughs> work on that. Even then, you can define your controls with system colors, but yeah, you're yeah. uh -huh. going to have some crazy user that set their theme to like Halloween pumpkin or something, and then suddenly <laughs> plot color is the same as their background color, and it disappears from their perspective. Yeah, we get, we get some of those support calls every now and then for some of our uh, systems where um, I can't see my text, or my text is running off the screen, or what's going on, and they've ended up configuring their system in some weird way so it's it's, mm -hmm. anno it's annoying <laughs> mm -hmm. uh one thing i i learned when um one of the challenges with vipm is getting it to work on mac as well mm -hmm. and that's a whole different game is when you're trying to move those things over to mac you that's where some of the customization goes 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 array yeah know, because like, the mm -hmm. sizes change i know yeah and uh so they don't always map correctly so that's that's the challenge there uh, but I don't think that many people use uh, create applications for both platforms, so that's <laughs> that's kind of a yeah. corner case. Well, yeah, and to the, for the most part, it's like if you want to support both platforms, you have to test with both platforms and do your best to make it look good on both before you release it. Oh yeah, and now we have uh, we had XP, Windows Seven. Now we have Windows Eight, which shows another true monkey wrench into things. It's it's always a challenge, always something to do. So just, I want to touch a little bit on the save as dialogue, mainly because I have you on the mic and I can ask you questions. <laughs> <laughs> uh huh. Uh, so one thing that kind of, an, not annoyed me, but is, uh, what, what I wish there I could do is kind of bypass the save as dialogue. For example, uh, it would be nice if the, some of the uh, options in the save as dialogue were, uh, were available as menu items. Mm. Um, like for example, save, um, save a copy or something uh yes. just was a direct menu item rather than going into the pop-up yes so yes, that's that's definitely. one one thing i would have liked to see yeah we actually toyed with that design idea so it would be like save a cop and save a copy as i think used to be a distinct menu item in lab view um back when it was closer to the mac ui origins but the 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 window standard at the time was a save menu and um, we were worried that if we split it out, then people would come into save expecting, you know, or sorry, to save as menu item. They'd come into save as expecting something that wasn't there because they had picked the wrong entry point coming in. So we gave them the one door and then we tried to walk them through what their process was when they came in. Yeah, I guess uh, kind of being more advanced user, someone who's familiar with that, uh, I guess I would like to have that direct access to some of those from the menu. Yeah, I tend to agree, and I noticed that the Mac has like moved away from save as, at least in some of the applications I was using recently, that they, they would actually have a save a copy and save and rename as a top-level menu item, yeah. um, that, and that's what I need. So if that becomes the standard for, for UIs and you know other applications, then we could move that way too. Well, I think some of that is coming from the idea that a lot of these apps now save to the cloud. Mm. Um, so that's, there is, and a lot of the Mac apps, cause I'm a Mac user and, uh, there is no save at all. 
in a lot of <laughs> a lot of the apps. I'm like, okay, That's how do true, how do I save my stuff? And it's, it's like, oh, and you don't worry about it. It's automatically saved. It's just there. Yeah. Um, and then you can recall other versions of it. Um, so that's, it's a different paradigm and I, I'm still not getting used to that. Yeah, but you're right. That, that makes sense. If you no longer consider save as an option, you really do have to think about it as, do you want to duplicate this document or do you want to rename this document? Right. Mm -hmm. Cause it's always saved. Mm -hmm. So let's get into the bookmarks tool that, uh, was released with LabVIEW 2013. And I, I have to say up front that it's, it's a very useful tool and I, and I use it all the time and, uh, it's, I think it's it's pretty awesome, so I'm, I like it overall. But there there are some things that are kind of quirky to it, and uh, there's uh, there's ways now that we can extend it. So talk a little bit about the bookmarks tool and how it kind of evolved into being part of LabVIEW. Okay, well, there were a lot of requests for better ways to comment the diagram. And so we kind of broke that down into what the problems were with the current ways that you documented code and what features we would need to add to support different use cases. Uh, and that, that broke out into two features, really, the uh, the bookmarks and the attached comments that both came out in 2013. With bookmarks, we wanted people to be able to have a way to basically do to-do tags. They could just put something in easily and come back, find it again later. Uh, and also for our our templates, we're really, really encouraging people to use project templates when they start projects now. And the uh, project templates come with a little pound code needed tag that lets you know that that's where you go customize it. And I'm going to call that mark a pound, even though I know that it's got different names all over the place and people Hasht like calling me hash, hashtag, octothorpe, whatever you want to call it. I call it a pound. Hopefully people know what symbol I mean. But uh, yeah. Did, so you, we, did you say octothorpe? I think that's what it's called. Like there, I looked it up on Wikipedia, and there's like six different names for that thing, and that's one of them. It's crazy. I don't think anybody really calls it that, yeah. that in conversation. <laughs> but, but yeah, go like Wikipedia and look up what that pound sign is actually called in different areas. Okay, I will now call it an octothorpe from oh, now no. on. Oh, okay, no. I'm not 100% sure, so look it up first. It is. I just, I just looked it up. Oh, you did? It's correct, Excellent. yes. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, and people are really used to hashtags in Twitter and Facebook and other places now. Like, we, we think that most people, when they see that, will recognize the concept. Um, and we didn't want it to be really hard to create them. So, with the pound to do, you don't have to, you know, leave the keyboard as you're typing in your comment. You can just put it in there. LabVIEW automatically detects that combination of a pound sign followed by some characters and bolds it to let you know that it's recognized it as a bookmark. Uh, so it's automatically bolded, shows up there. And then um, the bookmark manager lets you view all of your bookmarks in your VIs. And the big thing that it gives you is an advantage over just, you know, using some other character combination and just using the find dialog is that the bookmarks are something that we can look up in a VI without loading the entire VI into memory. So if you're looking at a project and not all your VIs are open, you can still find all of the bookmarks for your VIs in your project. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a pretty powerful capability because, um, I, the bookmarks manager, which is the user interface, um, pops up and lists everything uh, mm -hmm. that you have there. So that's that's pretty cool. Uh, there's there's one thing that uh, I guess there's no fine tuning as to where the hashtag. I guess it looks at hashtags everywhere, or um, where exactly does it look for hashtags? It's looking for hashtags right now in block diagram labels, so free labels, wire labels. Um, 
the uh, the labels that do the um, the sub diagrams and case structures and event structures, things like that. And we're we've considered adding them to other places. It makes sense that you would want to put them in control descriptions, VI descriptions, other places like that. But that's not currently supported. So. Um, Yes, I wanted to talk more about the the manager window. And then one of the other uh, goals for the bookmark project was that we wanted to try to make this open so that when people wanted different things out of how they used bookmarks, that they would have the power to make that tool work for them. Like that we had a long list of things that we could imagine that you would want to do with bookmarks and you would want the bookmark manager to do. And rather than just pick a subset that we had enough time to implement, we made the bookmark manager VI-based and completely open. So you can open it, look at its diagram, learn how it works. It's pretty simple. It's based on the queued message handler template. And then you can make a copy, modify it, and have, and when you you know, select which one you want to have used by default, and then you can use your own bookmark manager instead. So is this um, so is this kind of like the same lines of, uh, you know, making the getting started window written in LabVIEW? It's kind of the same idea? It uh, wasn't really, because the, book, the getting started window is not meant to be edited by users. It's not uh, really a concept that you replace it. Mm -hmm. um, it was made VIs more so that we could plug into it with ver in various ways with our own products. But the, uh, the bookmark manager, we wanted to make it more like the icon editor where you can make your own and you can just substitute that section of the LabVIEW editor with whatever you have created. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's a great idea because um, I don't like the current bookmark user interface. <laughs> no offense. It's just... <laughs> I, would, I was not at all surprised that uh, there are things that would yeah. mm -hmm. There There's some mm -hmm. things that, that could be better. And actually, you have uh, posted, not well, not you, but uh, NI has posted a page on NI.com, which I'll link in the show notes, which describes, actually walks you through the steps of how to um, replace the bookmark manager window with your own. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the examples they show there, which is kind of cool, is on the left side, they have, um, you know, all the bookmarks where you can select them. And on the right, they have a screenshot of where the bookmark is on the diagram. Mm -hmm. uh, so it actually shows the uh, the VI diagram where the bookmark is, which is kind of cool. And I think that's... Mm -hmm. that's uh, very good enhancement that people can make to it. Yes, cool. Now, one little caveat with that: we load that VI so that we could take a picture of its diagram. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> or as, so, what, as as opposed to the bookmark natively, the tool which doesn't load the VI, right? Is that what you're saying? Correct. We yeah. can read the bookmark information off of the VI file on disk directly, but we can't take a picture of its diagram without loading it into memory, which means it loads all of its sub VIs. It loads the whole hierarchy, and then we take the picture, and then if you didn't have it open, we throw it back out. So. I it can see. have performance issues. <laughs> yeah, I could I could see that happening. So, can you describe a little bit some of the uh, so the API itself? So, yes, you can replace the UI, but also there's kind of uh, an API, correct? To this, that's correct. In order to <clears throat> make this work with the uh, VI-based manager dialog, we had to um, add the interfaces to the VI server and to events. There's a couple of things that we added to the VI server. So for a given VI, you can get the VI bookmark information from it, but that requires a VI being in memory. So there's an application method for getting the bookmarks from a VI where you only have the path to the VI and it can be in memory or not. And if it's on, not, then we'll, we'll load the bookmark information but directly from disk. And then to actually use 
the bookmark to go to the location in your VI, you'll need an object reference. And we can't do an object reference for a VI um, for something that's not in memory. So we created another interface that lets you take the bookmark information and turn it into an object reference, which basically gives you a reference to the label that contains the bookmark. And that's how we zoom highlight it from the bookmark manager. Now, in addition, there's a, a new event that lets you know that bookmark information has changed. And it's just a broadcast event that lets you, if if your uh, bookmark manager is listening for it, every time it gets that message, it knows it has to go update because some VI's bookmark information has changed and it generally just goes refreshes all of its information. And this is uh, changed information of a VI on disk or has does that have to be in memory? That, you, yeah, you can't ch change the bookmark information for a VI without the VI being in memory. So the, oh, okay. yeah, when you get the events, it means something in memory has changed. Oh, I see. So the bookmark reference that gets returned from the API, is that the same as the bookmark ID? I in, believe in, so, Because one, yes. one is called bookmark reference and the other one's called bookmark ID. So I'm just wondering if that's the same thing. <laughs> I assume it is. Yes, yes. I thought we had made that consistent but because we had changed the name at some point. But it's possible that we missed some. And I, be I believe bookmark ID is what we want it to be called. So you might see the one that says bookmark reference change in the next version. Okay. <laughs> because it's not really a reference in the, in the, you know, the way you think of references in VI server. It's just a unique identifier that then you can convert to a reference with that uh, method. Also a nice, uh, interesting uh, kind of uh, compatibility issue, f uh, well, compatibility feature for someone who's creating their own bookmark manager is that if you have multiple bookmark managers in your resources folder, I'm, I'm just looking at this, uh, the API documentation, uh, there's actually a dialogue that pops up to ask you which bookmark manager you want to use. Yes, that's correct. It's a very simple little selector that just gives you a list of all the bookmark managers. But it lets, it lets you see them all. You can select which one you want to launch. You can check a little box if you want to use that one all the time and skip the selector dialog. If it detects that new ones have been installed, even if you have selected to not see it anymore, it will show up again to let you know that there's a new one available so you can switch to that one instead. Yeah, I find that uh, interesting. Is that something that... Uh that's there's a hook in LabVIEW specifically to manage is it specific to the bookmarks or it's something that could be extended to other um other things because i mean for example the um the icon editor could have something like this as well if you have multiple icon editors that's true this is currently the implementation is specific to bookmarks that's the the mechanism that launches the bookmark manager okay. does all that work mm -hmm. but we we could do the same kind of thing. I think it's more that I was involved with the user interface design with this and I wasn't for the icon editor. <laughs> Otherwise, the icon editor might have had that one as well. So you were more involved with the API side of things or kind of behind the scenes in LabVIEW? For which part? For the bookmarks. For the bookmarks, I was uh, mostly involved with the user experience and the user interface design. And oh, Sampath okay. was the lead developer who did the, the overall project. The icon editor was something that I think Stephen Mercer put in those those hooks to be able to switch out to a VI-based icon editor. And mm -hmm. there was another developer here that uh, that actually worked on the implementation of the icon editor that we ship. Mm -hmm. You do have uh, another side to Christina Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> There's this alternate Christina Rogers, which, which uh, I don't know if it, is it called graphical novels? Is that the right term? They're, they're called, um, um, boy, GNs, yes. They're, well, they're called graphic novels. Graphic I always novels. have to 
I have to correct this in my head because to me they're graphical novels because I don't like the way graphic novels sounds. But yeah, most many people just call them comic books. But yeah, when you put it into a book form, they called them graphic novels. So you're, this is uh, something you do as a hobby, I take it, and uh, you're uh, you've create you actually uh, released a book, correct? It's called yes. uh, Rune. Rune, a tale of wizards and kings. Yes, I have. Um, done creative writing as a hobby for a long time. And then a few years ago, I learned a uh, program that's called Daz Studio that lets you do renderings of uh, 3D models on just a desktop computer. And they have a, uh, a way of rendering that gives it kind of a cartoonishy look. And so I realized pretty quickly that I could use this program to illustrate my stories and make comic books. And so I took one of my stories that I had written um, Actually, I've written and rewritten it about three times, and I was like, well, the story is pretty much done on this one, so I could just convert it to a new format and switch it to being a comic book format and do what's called a webcomic, where you are creating the comic pages and posting them on a website serially. And so I did that for about three years, and then I collected all of those pages and put them together into a self-published book. That's pretty cool, and uh, people can actually go somewhere and buy that, and uh, maybe bring it to an eye. We can get it get you to sign it because I, I, <laughs> I would be I, happy I, to sign any. <laughs> I, I bought one, and I've been saying, "Oh, I should bring it for you to sign." I keep forgetting to bring it with me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty cool, and uh, that is that something that you want to pursue even further to to do more uh, more books. Like that? Um, probably because I mean I like having you know the the left brain right brain balance. So I do computer programming at work, and then for fun I do creative writing and art. And uh, right now I'm spending a lot of time with my family. My daughter's like almost three, and so she's takes a lot of time, and I'm prioritizing her. But eventually she's gonna be you know old enough that she doesn't need to hang out with me all the time, and I'll probably go back to doing more art. So is that the uh... Is that where the LabVIEW graphical <laughs> side of things came from? I guess is like that... The, the art? Yeah. Yes, the, like doing LabVIEW is this wonderful fusion of doing art and computer science at the same time. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, all we need is uh, some... Give the icons uh, characters. You give them character <laughs> names and have them, you know, have the diagram be the landscape where they play. Right, right. right. <laughs> and then we can make the diagram come alive, potentially. I've seen people kind of do that with scripting just for fun. They just sort of move stuff around on the diagram. It's really disorienting. <laughs> okay, Christina. Well, it's been, it's it's been a great conversation. I wish I wish could we could talk longer and ask you more uh, probing questions about some I and I entry keys and, and all this stuff. And uh, I, I I'm never going to remember like the I and I tokens off the top of my head, but. If you, you know, ask for things, sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah, we implemented that. Here's the secret INI token for it. <laughs> it rings a bell in your head or yeah. like a light bulb comes up. I've done that. It's like on the forums once somebody like with the old getting started window was like, I really want to see more projects. And I'm like, didn't I implement that? Oh, sure I did. Oh, here's the INI token. <laughs> Sorry, I just never got around to publishing it. But you could actually do that. Well, the thing with the with a lot of these is, in order to become publicly released, they they have to go through a lot of testing and uh, right. and all that. Testing so. documentation. They mm -hmm. got to work for all platforms. They can't have weird little edge cases where they just don't work. I mean, with the private ones, I can tell people, yeah, but just don't do this with them, okay? <laughs> well, there, there's an interesting story and uh, about uh, the lava forums because I think, if I recall, you were responsible for this, but there is an, an INI key that. Uh, 
displayed the la the lava logo on the, on the do to do i might have been involved with that yeah <laughs> can you talk That'd a little bit about fun. that because i'm still recording <laughs> oh no oh, <laughs> i thought we had stopped uh i think that was lab you ate five because the previous year at ni week we had uh, t-shirts and you gave me a t-shirt that was super secret private forum special stuff or something like that well, mm -hmm. i can't remember the exact one there's a big letters on the on the t-shirt and i was like we have got to make this token do something in lab you <laughs> so for the next version of lab you that token actually showed the the um, lava forums logo on the splash screen and i asked your permission if you'll recall i asked your permission before i used your artwork yes i i, I need i think lava should uh should, should sue and i for using the <laughs> the, lo the lava logo inappropriately <laughs> in the wrong context <laughs> i saved your email you said it was okay <laughs> that would be an interesting uh, court case um yeah that was that. I, thought, I thought that was funny and i think it was pretty awesome it was for uh lab what version it was eight five you said i think it was eight five yeah. and i think the the next release there was a problem with the token and we decided you know we don't need to preserve <laughs> this forever so we just took it back out oh darn sorry man we could we could, we could make it uh, configurable you, you you specify the logo and uh, the path to the logo and it'll load it up Customize, customize your getting your your splash screen. Splash screen, yeah, with whatever like sub. I might get in trouble with the lawyers at some point. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you, Christina. Thank you very much for having me. And thank you, our audience members, for listening to this episode. If you like the VI Shots podcast and want to support the show, the best way to do this is to go to vishots.com/itunes. That will take you to our listing on the iTunes Store, where you can leave us a review. You can also review our show in whatever app you're currently using. The more reviews we get, the more visible the show becomes to a wider audience. Any reviews are greatly appreciated. If you want to comment on anything you hear in today's episode, go to vishots.com slash 32 and post a comment on the show. We also have links to the topics mentioned in this episode. Thanks again for listening and bye for now.